Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nuthun. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences on their leadership roles in Africa from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nuthun. Hi Nancy, how are you? Hello George, I'm very good. Welcome, welcome very much to our podcast. I'm so happy you agreed to be a guest and I'm looking forward to just having a chat with you about your leadership journey. So karibu sana. Thank you very much. It's my honor for that anything else to get to share your story and uh, to impact people as part of my big four Okay, thank you so much. The last time we communicated, you had mentioned you are in the Far East, in China. So just curious, what took you that far? What took you to that lovely country? I've been there and it's really a good country and quite inspiring to see what people are doing there. So what were you doing there? Before actually what I was doing there, I don't I will tell you. What took me there is the whole technology summit for three. But I will tell you that this was my first time in China, all these years. later I in China, and yeah, a lot of people possibly go to China for trading, but it's also a huge hotspot for technology. So they are courtesy of Huawei, technology giant, um, from the East, of course, the number one in China. And I have the need to go to Shanghai, go to Shenzhen, where they have their headquarters, as well as the technology center, and also experience a bit of ONG. So I had a quite a bit of good experience, the trading side and also the tech side. But what um, sort of surprised me, I thought impressed me, when you think of a country or a region with so many people, you did not feel the number of people with the right structure. The movement in the airport on the roads of the infrastructure is so impressive. And Shenzhen is where predominantly a technology um, set as you have all this big um, tech companies that also sit there that are housed in um, Shenzhen. And when I went to the Huawei and uh, White House and big car counterparts of Huawei, George, it's, it's quite something. It's quite something. And beautiful too, the architecture, the infrastructure, um, the ambience, it's, it's incredible. It's all this Oh, yeah. I mean, those guys. They are just amazing. Their technology, the engineering. Wow. So anyway, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. So Nancy, tell us a little bit about yourself. So Nancy is uh, married with uh, five children, two of whom are my biological children, and two of whom have been taken care of on behalf of my sister. And we continue to do so since they were little. And they are all other children now to 37 years. The last one takes 20 next year, the youngest. And I'm a mother, but let's say, tech-minded people say, strategic minds. So I guess to deal with a lot of uh, very challenging conversations, which keep me, you know, challenge, which uh, kept me inspired. And it was me just having a room of my colleagues, full of my colleagues. So that's who I am. But uh, career-wise, 
I would call myself a tech marketer because that's where I have been since 1993. I joined the tech industry when I was 19 years old. So I can't my age as well. And in 1993, I sort of bought into it by accident because my uncle thought I was taking the wrong course. Straight out of high school, I didn't want to stay at home. I was looking for something to do. And I sat and rolled into a college and started in secretary. I remember the classroom said it was a principal of that institution. But no, 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 no. I think you're way too clever. As you can do so much more your sex. So they put me in a class of um, county, financial health to across the county. And then in that house into a class of computing and my passion was clearly on the computing side of the tech side. So I have grown in the industry. I've seen this country and the region grow from the days of uh, simple hardware and um, using simple operating systems like those and very super rudimentary applications in the days of Lotus One Two Three. Grown the world that to see when the videos was launched and we're not shifting to the um, platform user interfaces. And moving on, I course, we had a bit of an experience of particular web, um, web water, web to now big and So I practically also see the evolution into the connectivity world, right from our connectivity using the lines and satellite broadband communications and to telecommunications to do it using GSM and mobile communications and have therefore worked in all those areas. And as I worked with hardware, moved on to selling software, moved on to selling connectivity solutions, I then was also ushered in what we call of the top solutions. So all the top solutions to give applications like um, what application that sit on top of connectivity solutions that still sit on top of hardware, that sit on top of infrastructure, the organization, or the uh, particular setup. So I have, uh, now recently just been leading the, the, the largest uh, media company in the region, uh, which is uh, Altitrace, and I was the one to do director of Monsters Kenya. So pretty much one of the cross, but in between, I also did add a problem over the top, um, uh, over the top rules, uh, uh, which I had other over the top um, sort of um, forex rules. And I had the huge fortune of also working with financial services industry. So I have worked in um, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and it's the personal chat of market development for ESA at the VP chat of market development. And prior to that, I worked for Spartacom at the and various roles. And uh, just in between, I did a bit of quantum as well. So I was part of the team that, that builds the digital bank for HRF, which is what we call HRF. So I'm basically struggling the entire space, the entire tech space, so to say. Wow, so you've been a leader in that space. I would say I was actually in leadership quite young. I was very young, very, very young. And actually, my leadership journey started a long, long, long time uh, when I was in primary school. That's when I realized that uh, people would look upon me to take on certain roles or to lead. And then into high school, everything, I was a class monitor. And I also uh, was, I think, about seven clubs, including. I uh, to be basketball, I was basketball captain in all three and home for in and rural. So I discovered very early on that there was a lot of expertise for me to do a bit of the extraordinary to take up responsibility. So I sort of would say that I encountered leadership from a very young age. As I come from a large family of nine children, and often I would see my mom and my dad looking up to me, decided to think that I've expected either my older siblings or even my younger siblings to do. But they would possibly most of the time come back and point, point to me. 
So yeah, it's a lot of leadership that's for you. Also in charge, uh, for those my chair as well. So actually there's a lot of great area where to find myself getting first leadership, but since the global leadership in, uh, let's say corp- in the corporate world, I was thrust into leadership at the age of maybe I'd say 26, 26, I was sitting in that what would be the Econ Exco or then, uh, the group called the Ops, uh, team and expertise for, uh, either Africa. There were people who are wasting near the main in that same room who are chief, I was on that chief, but I was basically down pretty much in, uh, making decisions and working with the leadership to, to drive the, uh, the organization forward, which is then the number one satellite robot company in, uh, Africa. Wow. So in those leadership roles that you've exercised over the years, what are the traits or abilities you've demonstrated that have helped you uh, excel in those leadership responsibilities? I think one of the most important responsibility of a leader is setting um, the pace and being very clear about uh, what picture, you know, framing the picture of what you're trying to do. So your ability to think strategically and also have people think strategically to see the big picture and have a helicopter view and understand what you're uh, trying to achieve is way more important than anything else. And then realize that because I recall a lot of my managers here just back in the day telling me that it's not about how hard you work. It's not how hard your team is working. It's not about the number of hours hit the results. And the results and the difference come from strategic thinking and strategic execution. And the two of them can roughly separate and leading me or the other. So you are ability to be able to help people free uh, the picture, see the big picture, um, and to get them be able to break down the work that needs to be done to be able to achieve that big picture and to effectively communicate is more important than anything else. Now, strategic thinking requires a lot of courage and boldness. There's some of the things that you will do have not done before. And people will keep telling you, we do things like this. This is the way it's done. Others have done it. You will fail. You know, I have absolutely no fear of failing because I have failed so many times and have been given the rule and the platform to fail and fail over and number. We can apply these funds to be able to build better, bigger, better things and to do bigger, better results. So I would say my um, as far as leadership is concerned, is around strategic thinking, able to help people not only get strategic and but also being able to break down the work that needs to be done and then effectively communicating across the entire organization and the entire ecosystem that requires to support you in achieving that mission. So I'll give you an example from last question what the of the faultages. I can guarantee you the East Holders and the dealers and our partners within the call center teams who are sometimes far removed from the day-to-day operational of that organization knew exactly what we were doing and why we were doing it and what your strategic priorities are. The least you can do is communicate very clearly the strategic priorities so that people can be able to connect what they are doing every single day and therefore feel they are actually working to a break Next to that, what's the next trait that you demonstrated? So I, I spoke briefly about courage and boldness. You know, 
there are certain things, and especially when you're in the boardroom with a lot of pressure, there's a difference between that pressure and courage and being bold. And being able to also and then speak truthfully and say things as they are, but also being um, clever about it. So a lot of people will tell you this is the hard work to be. Unfortunately, one of the most courageous and worthy people they have come across in the boardroom. Those things that people are not willing to call out of it are the mouths because at one point or the other, we have to face the dire consequences. And then also just owning up, owning up when things just don't work and taking responsibility. You know, courage and boldness come to the understanding that there's a huge responsibility with just even uh, making that decision to step out and speak out. And whilst it is, you cannot be bold and courageous without also understanding that it is to also, to a great extent, be strong enough to take on the So I can tell you, people say that I am one of the strongest, most resilient and delicious people. And I believe that is so important, and especially when they are leading people. They don't want to see a wounded leader, and they don't want to see a leader that does not have the courage and the boldness to articulate some of the challenges that they be going through. Sometimes I have burnt my fingers, oh yes, you know? It's not all the so rosy and very easy to get the, you know, the, the message across. Um, but then I learn and figure out how should I communicate or how should I have a ticket that issue. So yeah, um, I can tell you, I take quite a bit for the team and I'm always aware that leadership comes with that huge responsibility. You have to be bold, you have to be courageous. You know, I truly believe only bold and courageous people have the ability to move organizations and businesses. And even especially now where things are changing so fast, you know, the changes now with ICT and just what is happening, you know, the geopolitics around us, the trends, the business waves that are coming. My goodness, definitely, you have to be bold. Change, you have to be bold. I agree with you. Talking about, you know, you said you burnt your fingers times and their challenges. Talk to us some of the challenges uh, you have faced, even as a leader. Challenges come in different forms, you know, there are strategic challenges. I think by far and large, the biggest challenge ever faced would be in a hyper-competitive world and not competition from the industry competition, but from alternatives and substitutes. And when you have competition from alternatives and substitutes, I'm talking about in this particular case, in the business for monsters, for TCD and good ticket show back in Kenya, is uh, the fact that uh, you have to be able to understand exactly what the head the head is doing and the tailings you also dealing with. And sometimes we get so obsessed with thinking that our competition is right there within our industry and don't pay attention. So you know to the to what is actually happening outside the industry, which could actually be swallowing the entire industry. And as a market leader, we're the one that shapes the industry and the success of that industry. So I'd say one of the biggest challenges is actually articulating very clearly in a multinational setting the real situation on the ground in your country as you see it and as you live through it. But what I realized very quickly, it's not a boardroom conversation. It's a marketplace conversation. You have to bring in the people, the stakeholders that need to understand, starting from your own chase to understand the threat. Look, when, when um, Michael Porter talks about the quarter spike process and the threat of competition and the threat of substitutes, 
And I would say I have experienced the accusations of the world. But for people to appreciate it, let it understand, you have to take them to the epicenter of the toilet. So I got my cheese out of the workroom. We went out and all the way from the customer care teams, all the way to the top, the exco, including the installers, including dealers. And we went into people's schools, one home after the other. We went into Kawangwari. We went into Cayman. We went into top homes in high, um, high, what you call high value settings. And the reason why I was doing that is because the notion was that only the guys in high value homes or their families in high value homes can afford to watch your alternative content, like a full video of YouTube or a full video of Netflix back to back. But we saw it happening even on the streets on smartphones. We saw it happening in Kawangwari. We saw it everywhere. And as soon as my team understood the threat, we then understood the reason why we had to run even faster. Just protect what we already have because we still had you know, the traditional business. The traditional business is the one that gives us a free cash flows to be able to invest in that innovation. But even more important to understand that we start now moving faster into fast tracking, DSTV by streaming, and lay the ground for showbox right? Now, in as much as the core the way we are structured pretty large, um, we do have to take the full responsibility of a showmax. I'm really agitated for Kenya to be put to the forefront as far as PSCB West driven was concerned. Now, you know, getting that conversation through, I then got the head of marketing and various people in, from strategy in Dubai to actually go to the homes with us. And then we start in focus groups listening to Kenyans. For you to win some of those conversations, you cannot win them in the presentation. You cannot win them by speaking in the boardroom. You have to go to the epicenter of a problem in the actual setting for people to actually appreciate exactly what you're doing. So that, that problem has been the, part of the biggest challenge, being able to communicate strategic challenges and learning that not use uh, Excel sheets to show that the numbers are going south, uh, to not use, for instance, the voice of customer only that had been synthesized in the customer care reports and do not just use you know, your, your PIL to show you know, the shape of your business. What's happening? Go to the trade, go to where the customers are, roll out your sleeves, and understand the problem. The other challenge I dealt with, I think, is a, is a very big challenge. Um, but most of I guess, my certification, your first time CEO or first time managing director, is letting go of your functional leadership style and quickly moving into. Uh, into a topic that I think we'll be talking about that in Devil Soul Park that way. With a big challenge of got an executive coach and white people, you must get an executive coach to help you through every every big leadership transition. Because you may not have an accountant. There are other people who have both seen that journey and coaching are coaching so many other leaders through that journey. And just like you go to a doctor when you have a particular ailment, don't try to set their goals. Don't take way too long. Lead on people that are specialists, that are qualified, that are professionals, that will help you diagnose the problem and find the right cure work. And you know, just picking up on that, Nancy, it takes boldness to accept that, that you need help. George, I was doing so badly. I will tell you I was doing so badly, you know? 
and I would call my team complaining that I am micromanaging them. And I couldn't understand. How can you start micromanaging and I'm coming to save the problem with you? I am coming to all of my ways, you know? And that is one of the things I have been looking for like a functional leader. That getting the problem, getting digging to actually work with the teams. But my coach told me that that's the job of the CEO. Your job is to ask the right questions, get onto the top of the forest and see the top here. See the top here and see where the top here is dry. And then also look through the drying top here, be able to see where the roots are rotting. But when you are down there just deleted the weed, you cannot see where the problem is. And she told me, Ransom, we have told you that one of your greatest strengths is being able to uncover and discover problems and get to your root. But that's no longer your, your, your responsibility. It's not enabling others to do that. And I can tell you, you have been spaced right. The minute she used those words, wow, we still spraying. I was always so proud about running not my steps, but I was suffocating my people and it took help. Just unpack that, you know, suffocating. You said you're suffocating your people. And I think many managers or many people who are very technical, when they're given a leadership position or st being strategic, they struggle. You know, they struggle. And, and I'd just like you to unpack that a little more. How was that journey for you? And what did you need to do? Because I know that's a big struggle for many people. Maybe unpack that a little more, please. For me, the realization came for the excitement fitness course. When I joined the organization about excitement, given my background and my experience, and that and my leadership score, I was sitting at about over ninety percent in terms of getting my direct reports, and the entire organization uh, and people was sitting at about fifty. That wasn't choices such a well rounded organization where people said to the organization, they have what they call the purchase by platform that measures engagement. I think that tool safely. If you don't have that tool in your organization, you need to get it. So you see sometimes you're so full of what's going on and so busy, you mm -hmm. can't quite tell um, and me and subtle uh tell where the problem is. So there are these tools that have been designed that will help you. So that will be the first side. The second sign is that my head of HR who had worked with Aricom walked to told Nancy. You know, there are a couple of these complaints. You're having a dog where people can walk in and mm -hmm. tell them. And then, of yes. course, um, also, I got feedback from uh, the leadership and my corporate leadership. And there's a bit of noise here and there. And I also had a great, uh, a, a great regional director, Bahara Chande. Yes. And, you know, you need to have people who can walk up to you. So you need to have some sort of a circle that believes in you, of people who are. You don't think in penetrable. You know, you can't and get access to the root problem right there. So I've had in God that I have people who come and tell me fair. But I also, as soon as I started the coaching, because I then assigned an executive coach, which was part of when I told her that she did very well, as a matter of fact, it became the top performing sales organization. Uh, we became quite a benchmark for so many other uh, practices that included in the country. I'm trying yes. to have brought in from learnings from uh, a lot of our troops Aricom, the Nordic Bank also saw my MasterCard. We sort of like some of those, and of course, getting people to the ground. But yeah. uh, very quickly, because of that, you know, fatigue and noise, because also, unfortunately, 
structures of a functional leader. So a fighting leader has a high, very high intensity structures in terms of routines or uh, checking performance. And uh, uh, also, you know, very deep and uh, rigorous strategic sessions. And I was doing this outsourced the entire organization. The whole organization was actually quieting with intensity. But you can't keep up within the six months if you continue doing that every single day. And they had what we call the daily, uh, the daily beat as well to figure out what's going on with the organization. So you're not intense. The first complaint was too many meetings. The second complaint was, oh, we are over. The third complaint was, uh, she checks everything, you know? So <laughs> the traits of uh, a function, say a technical, a street, uh, a subentigate, during that report, we've got kind of jokes, something to stop up, where the top leaders of the organization were being rude, right? And as I was taking up that for, I mean, to be put to the chairman, stop you to scrub up, I was put in a program with Harvard. And that's just also one of the greatest programs that I about went through. So it did have a program, um, it also came with an executive coach. And she, she, she just actually described to me your day. Describe to me your week. Just describe to me what your people say to you. And then she took it and learned to you when they tell me that they are, you're the best thing that happened to them. They learned to you. When I listen to you, you are, the operation is so intense, you're so intense. Nancy, you're going to kill yourself. You can't do that as a CEO. You need to lead the work, give the work to the people. And all that thing properly introduced to leadership through questioning, the right questions, strategic questions. So, and then I, I sort of change the structure, the routines. So from, we reduced the number of meetings at my level, and that obviously also went we were very intentional. We also went and looked at every department, said, what are the meetings they must cut out, and how do we reduce um, the intensity where they keep focus on the board, and also sort of, you know, um, get everybody to feel like they are working in a great organization, but give them room to be this matter to require results from them. So then yeah. tell me, yes. the biggest message that my coach and gave me was, Nancy, once you become a CEO and MD, on top of remembering that your job is to give work to the people and lead people to strategic answers, to strategic issues and not political strategic answers, you are not the one that should give people answers. Let them find the answers and own, own the answers. Let them own the narrative, because you are owning, you're taking away the data from them by giving them the answers also. And by also, you, you don't feel it, but you're taking the credit away from them as well. And then the next message she told me, you must remember at the top, your primary job in as much as you have been told about the about X, Y, Z objectives. You are yes, the chief results officer, but that is not your primary job. Your primary job is you are the chief inspiration officer. You are the chief inspiration officer, chief inspiration officer, and then number two, you are the chief happiness officer. Everybody's happiness in that organization is your business. If you fix those two, your chief trading officer job that drives results will be so easy. But I had it all upside down. All upside down, I was seeing results or demanding results, you know, and not focusing on what the leaders at the top should be doing. 
creating a psychological safe space, a fearless organization for people to try and give you the best results, bigger, better results than we have ever seen. So for me, that was possibly one of the biggest lessons I learned out of this whole process of discovering that I and accepting because I actually had the keys that I was actually suffocating. And we can be very stubborn as leaders, but the science doesn't mind. And that's why stubborn leaders sometimes and technically, I uh, know as two people like myself, require to be fed with insights. And that's like the tool I mentioned. Engagement tools are so important for leaders. Wow. That's quite some good advice and lessons that you have shared there, which are so, so important, so important. And I really do. I like the part of being chief inspiration officer and chief happiness officer. So what happened when now you started applying that advice and those new things that you're hearing from your coach? What changes did you see? The first thing I see is shading eyes. Shedding eyes and smiling people and people being themselves. Uh, quite frankly, people saw me walking the court start to be very pretty proper before because there was only the expectation of it's work, it's work. We're letting down the air and it matches with that's a lot, we sign a lot, you know. So I noticed that AF and the organization was beginning to change. And actually our scores also started to change our our and getting scores came from the 70s for the whole organization to the highest of 84%. And then my engagement score from the director just came from the lows of 60s, from the 90s to 60s, and then went back into the highs of 80s to 82%. But what I actually noticed is that I could also be vulnerable with my people. You see, when we focus on the heart and hand and head, all different things at the same time. You learn how to be human. I struggled with being human. I struggled showing the humanity side. I did not want to be seen as an imperfect person. And I remember one of the best quotes that actually got me out of that situation was from Sharon Sandberg when she says, it's okay to live through imperfection. Did through the perfection and the vulnerability. After why I noticed it all the change in myself, and even at home, uh, people told me, "Oh, you're different. You are so much out here. You know, you're so you you are at ease. You know." And then the people wanted to be around me. If I don't, people wanted to be around me. And of course, they would then honestly tell me, "This is a problem," because before they told me what I wanted to hear, because I was demanding what I wanted. Demanding what I want to hear. Well, and thank you so much, Nancy. You've been so vulnerable in your conversation and so open, which is very commendable because many leaders, I guess because of the expectation, you know, the expectation of being trim and proper. And let me just even ask you, um, I don't know this will apply to you. Did your gender, did it put pressure on you? How did people receive you? in the market, because the tech market is so much male dominated. How was it for you? So fortunately, because I have grown in this industry, it's never been a problem for me. Okay. I also because to a great extent, I've been competitive sports. As I mentioned, I played competitive basketball. 
and would go all the way to the semifinals to play with the nationals. I played tennis and went all the way to the national level. So I was really so used to being with a player and be put under pressure. And to the dealing with that, we get two boys, two men. And that starting off my career at 19, the tech world, it was not done neat, but I was doing things like fixing telephone lines to connect organizations to dial up services and people I was getting busy as captain address, you know, and people would be fascinated. This doubt was doing stuff and opening up boxes. So, and then I guess also I have a lot of friends who are male. So I never have ever felt at any one time sort of undermined in any way. In fact, in anything, if the undermining happens, it happens across genders. It is not the men or the women undermining. And then I am just a very open person. I'm a very open book and I'm very, I'd say, unconscious. There is nothing that will stop me from discovering what you're doing and getting to that space as well. So a lot of things I don't think go. I personally will not go out and out for, you know, make uh, nights um, there the other day or go to the pub and have a conversation like most ones will do. But let me tell you, in the course of the day, I am with a man and uh, we are having conversations that we would have. But the depth of the conversation is what matters. The depth of the conversation, whether it is men or female, what you bring to the table in the room is what matters. It is not whether you are male or female. In fact, I always say, and to drive diversity, we must not cooperate competency. It's not diversity over competency. It is diversity of highly competent individuals, equally competent individuals. Yeah, I like that because there's a compromise. It seems diversity compromise on the competency, and I like what you said. So, Nancy, if you are to draw a picture or an image or a symbol of you as a leader, what would it look like? That's a very difficult question, but I can tell you, I need to fun now. And so it's a fun lead-up. So it's that lead-up who, if you guys are getting to the dance machine there, if you are celebrating that room or that machine, She's your friend. She would cry with you when you're crying. And honestly, so I will not pretend that I don't see the pain that you're going through. So sometimes they call me mama. So I am that leader sometimes who looks like the mama bear. Sometimes. Yeah. Mama bear, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. If you're to sit with a young leader or young leaders listening to you right now and wondering, I'm just starting off, Nancy, what are the things that I need to learn now or do now to get where you are or even beyond? What would you tell them? Number one, when you're selected into leadership, with the selection process, you don't just get to your leadership. And that's, of course, the runner organization. And even then, you have to be capable of doing it. When you selected it to be that you do not second guess yourself. There's a reason they saw that you are capable. Just be very clear 
as to why we select it. And then use that as your leverage. Because we go in, second guess ourselves, and we are focusing so much on fixing our shortcomings that that becomes our preoccupation and our leverage to the state never shines. Never second guess yourself. Number two, leadership is actually a privilege. Leadership is not something that, uh, oh, here I am, I've got it's a privilege to be called that on to be to be responsibility and to be the biggest responsibility of that organization or that institution that you have been called to it. It is not for you to over delegate. You can delegate, but you cannot delegate accountability. So where things do not work, in as much as possible, do not blame your team. You need to find what and be fully accountable. You're the chief accounting officer. The need to understand that the chief accounting officer, you'll also be as much embarrassed to solving the problem. And about not only looking at people in the problem, you began to be an issue-based leader as opposed to be a people problem forecast leader. That's when everything goes wrong, we want to make somebody. No. And when you do that, you will fire everybody and see have no one to yourself. So focus, be issue focused, be the clear that you're the cheaper account Number three, which is both by the far and by the most important, set aside time to make sure that you're aligned with your people. People, 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 people. Set aside time to actually see your current and actually you should be the connection. Set aside time to make sure that as soon as you understand what the problem is, that sometimes don't try to just jump into solving the problem. Seek wisdom. Try to also speak to other people who have done it and dealt with it. We make mistakes because we never tried to be one other people. And read and read and read white. The some of the problems we will change is that you face and leader have nothing to do with technical competence. In fact, your biggest challenges have everything to do with non-technical competence. When we talk about technical competence, about subject matter expertise here. I'm talking about leadership challenges. For instance, one day, we used to wake up very early in the morning to go to the trip. There is no day we went to the trip later than 6 a.m. We were always there before 6 a.m getting you to get the paperwork for activation. When I was called, um, so my team that was traveling from Bosia has had an accident in a bus IV and fights the TPR bus. There was an accident. And there were controversies. Then to judge, this is by far and like the most painful thing I've ever dealt with as a leader. People have lost their lives, breaking their back who are breaking their back to go and make their business happen. And all the leaders actually realize the strength, the, the, the length to which people go to actually make numbers happen. We lost two young people in our lowest sales lab, once you call the York sales was uh, at an exit. And the first, the person who worked in the head of operations did it. 
and I could see. And I asked, why haven't the head of sales worked to tell me? That the head of sales worked to but she could hardly even get it. And when they worked like Jordan and the team, I can't even describe it. I thought, how did this happen? What could I have done? Is there a big part of change or working hours? Is it a vehicle that we're driving in? Is it a person who is driving in? And I actually started to cry. I started to cry so bad. I cried so bad. And then I, I, I was like, what am I doing? You're the leader. Put yourself together. You know? Put yourself together and find a solution and start talking to people about what needs to be done with products. So the first thing that my head of operations told me do not get in touch with people calling you. Only the head of PR and only don't don't. But I couldn't bring myself not to do it, Judge. I actually picked up the phone, called the head of sales on the ground, or head of region, head of Sarah, and it's our award. And the guy that then she picked up my call, she just said, Oh, and say, she's crying. She was broken. She was so broken. And I thought, Sorry, I understand. I know. I know because I said exactly the same. Like she cried for a good while. We didn't want to finish crying. And it was sour. I want you to get out of where you want peace, gather some courage, find some people, go to the homes of these people, go to the hospital where, because you just have to go to the hospital, go to the morgues, go. I did not be able to do it right now. I said that you're on the ground. Go do it. And I was a very stupid. Unfortunately, I was reading the book by Bob Booker, the senior chairman of this who had not just looked at it. And Bob was writing about his 15 years leadership story at Disney. That evening when I went home, he did not believe it's George. I was reading the chapter where he talks about where the white be in China, launching their first Disney park in China. And there was an incident where in the alligator pack, a child was pulled by one of the alligators. This child was less than eight, definitely under each, less than five years old, if I recall correctly. And the parents were there. And while he was there with the training staff of China, he was there with everybody. And this is going on, you know? And people are looking up to him and telling him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. When he went to his room because he had to deal with his voice to his room, he could not bear it. You know, you can't turn away from responsibility and accountability. You can't at the very top. And he cried. Poland cried. He had Bob Eager. Get it hard. Why am I allowed to cry? You know? And exactly the same advice was given. So do not speak to the families. Do not let organization because we could be putting the organization into jeopardy. He did the complete opposite. When you have challenges like those, listen to your conscience and your moral compass. And it will never If you don't, you will never ever read. It will be. It will haunt you forever. So there's some things that there is not, I say read a lot. If you're a young leader, read books on grief and death. They have written all their challenges and how they judge those challenges. I guarantee every single challenge they're going through, it is not new in this world. Someone has gone through it and they have put it down in that book. 
the written data. So readers get to get a more reading. Michelle Obama's The Light Will Carry. And I love her so much. Because she's also very vulnerable and absolutely authentic. Wow. And also, I'll, I'll listen to stories on this podcast like Nancy's and get challenged. Thank <laughs> you. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Allow me just to chime and say, I'm increasingly defending myself, looking for content exactly like your podcast. I'm going to, I'm looking for just hearing your stories and not glamorous jobs, because the glamour will see it. You know, what we don't see is what I want to hear. I watched Arnold, the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger on Netflix. I've watched you know, all the stories of Chris Christie's. I watched even the Trump story I've watched. Maybe what to do, what not to do, for instance. So, I, you know, there's so much content today on podcasts, on little video content, a lot of content and in books. Search for it and be thirsty for it. It works same. Oh, and I must say, please make sure you have very competent people around you. Yeah, I, I never realized how important a finance director and a HR director work then they got faults, they say they for iron disparity. So even if you know certain materialities with a tensile operate itself, then let me do this with my students. They say they so intense for making their own um their, their own judgments. So your finance director and your HR director will sometimes say they for situations that are not so coherent because they understand the law within each your organization. Not just from a people perspective, but from an overall in business perspective. Sometimes we tend to be in so much on our commercials because of the guy who are bringing in that the, 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 the building the pocket and you know, fattening the bottom there. But the, the people who are also city also played in the head that I wish to ensure him for instance, free cash fees, other free cash fees. Sometimes the free cash does not come from a topic. And we come from certain activities, operational activities that you must optimize. That is your hair. So those two people that we sometimes say, think of them as support, but we do a lot more than support. Uh, they are we always so much more than just support structure. They are actually very strategic leaders in our entire leadership. Well said. That is so true. That is so true, Nancy. Wow, Nancy, as we end this, I mean, there's so much you have shared, so much wisdom, so much insight. If if one is to look at your leadership story and wonder aloud, what is Nancy's, what's the moral of Nancy's leadership story? What would you say that is? I'd like to get the best out of people and build the best people that come to me. So I can tell you, Every organization that I have worked in most cases, subject and not have been successful, but the majority of the organizations then can put that. The people who work with me, most of them are then taking on then identity conversation roles and grow either within or outside. The model of the work back at um university that you did us in. They were in taste, they were rigorous before you did know what they were doing for us. So to me, I like what I believe in. If obviously I don't believe, yeah, I will not push you. 
But regardless, you have the ability to enter their workplace until that that potential comes out. And I like to hear this because you know, again, what's interesting is as you grow, this set of people become your networks. The young people become your networks and they give you the platform to break in the next space that you're going so the moral of my leadership that it's tired of story is about the inquiring other leaders to come on and do greater jobs and the other Wow. Thank you, Nancy. Your final thoughts before we say goodbye? My final thoughts is that uh, leadership that we have been given an opportunity for leadership. Please take it on not just as a privilege, but as a true opportunity to make a difference. And never quite look at how much money you're making. So look at what you're doing. And make sure you do it extremely well. And carry it on with a great sense of responsibility. Just as you would if you're running your own household. Just as you would for your own children. Just as you would for your entire family. And know that you are not there by mistake. You're there by design to be able to advance humanity. And the ambitions and the needs of Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. It has been quite insightful, quite inspiring to hear your story. Thank you. Wish you success even as you move on in your in your leadership journey and watching you and waiting to hear the great things that you are going to do ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, George. Thank you. Thank you for the great work that you did connecting with these stories, the art of story. Storytelling is very special to the end. Well, happened but my totally organization. And it's, yeah, it does especially keep on like you. Thank you so much because it's one way that we can do first in the world. Yet, yeah, we are not to build ourselves, not just our families, the companies we work for. As I said, it's for the humanity. We have our responsibility in that small little way of leadership. We have to look at different to your country, look at difference from the continent to your domicile. To make a difference in our world collectively. So, no, leadership is a very big plan of accountability and not just the basic results that you're, that you're charging. Thank you for the work of your Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.